All right, praise the Lord. Good morning. What a wonderful day, huh? Praise the Lord. Um, We're going to be in part nine of our study on Thessalonians this morning. And the title of my message is Working for His Glory. Working for His Glory. We've been, uh, this will finish up Thessalonians, first and second Thessalonians. And we had approximately, I think we had six sermons in 1 Thessalonians, and then three sermons in 2 Thessalonians. So I would love to hear your feedback on preaching through the books of the Bible, uh, since we're finishing this up. And um, if you would, turn in your Bibles to 2 Thessalonians chapter 3. This is the first time we've done this, preach through the books of the Bible. Um, You're going to find as we go through chapter 3 here, um, the subject matter is always so unique when you teach through the Bible, and uh, these are subjects we don't always address, but when you just take the letter that Paul wrote to these young Christians, and we examine it, and we apply it to our own lives, it's amazing how practical it is compared to what we would contrive ourselves. Uh, he, he knows what he's doing when the Holy Spirit uh, caused his pen to go to paper, and so let's really be... Um, Let's really hear what Paul has to say to us as a church uh, today. Uh, Verse 1 of 2 Thessalonians chapter 3, it says, Finally, brethren, so he's at the end of his letter, he says, Pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified, just as it is with you, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men, for not all have faith. But the Lord is faithful who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. And we have confidence in the Lord concerning you, both that you do and will do the things we command you. Now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. Now it gets into kind of the meat of this chapter. It says, but we command you, brethren. In the name of our Lord Jesus Christ. Now when he says command you, this is where he becomes very strong in what he's trying to state to us today. We command you, brethren, in the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, that you withdraw from every brother who walks disorderly and not according to the teaching which he received from us. For you yourselves know how you ought to follow us, for we were not disorderly among you, nor did we eat anyone's bread." Free of charge. But we worked with labor and toil day and night and day that we might not be a burden to any of you, not because we do not have the authority, but to make ourselves an example of how you should follow us. For even when we were with you, we commanded you, we commanded you this if anyone will not work, nor shall they eat. For we hear there are some who walk among you in a disorderly manner not walking at all, but are busybodies. Now those who are such we command and exhort through the Lord Jesus Christ that they work in quietness and eat their own bread. But as for you, brethren, do not grow weary in doing good, for if anyone does not obey the word in this epistle, note that person and do not keep company with them, so that they may be ashamed. And this is very important. Yet do not count him as an enemy, but admonish him as a brother. Very important, that last line. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you, Lord. And um, Lord, we accept this letter as if it was written today, Lord. 
and it's instruction directly from you, Lord Jesus, as Paul said here. And uh, Lord, we ask that you help us learn it, help us teach it. Uh, Lord, hide us behind your cross and your anointing and your authority, and let it not be the authority of men, but the authority of of, of Jesus Christ in this message, Lord. And uh, help us today to hear it. In your name we pray, Lord Jesus. And everybody said, Amen. Praise the Lord. How many are very thankful that uh, we're not just kind of left out there to say, hey, you're living for the Lord and now just do what you want. (laughs) Paul is very specific about how we're to conduct our lives and how we're to live our lives. And uh, this message is called Working for His Glory. And um, when you live in a society that is quickly going away from the Bible and quickly going away from a biblical worldview... Um, and leaving our Christian roots behind, how many realize that that diminishes a lot of the fruits of living a, uh, being a Christian nation and having a Christian history and having a Christian background? And so there are lots of things. In fact, Eddie was telling me the other day, what were the statistics you were telling me? now, which is really low compared to what it used to be, consider themselves Christian in the United States, but only 6% have a biblical worldview, which uh, the Bible, you know, addresses so many areas of life, and only 6%, which means we're quickly abandoning a lot of our uh, background and a lot of the things that we once believed as a nation. And so a lot of the things that we abandon, we don't even notice them going away. And today's message is one of those things that is quickly going away in our society and we probably would never notice it unless we had a chapter like this from Paul to explain it. And that is our Christian work ethic. In fact, uh, it's a very well-known thing that's been, many books have been written about it. Um, We have a very unique work ethic in our country that we've built as a foundation of our economy and everything um, it's a unique work ethic that you don't find everywhere in the world. In fact, some of them call it a German Catholic work ethic. Some of them call it a Protestant work ethic. Some of them just call it a Christian work ethic. But there was something very unique about the way that we worked as people and the way that we um, um, were very careful to have a good work ethic. How many have ever met somebody that was just a good, old-fashioned, honest person and if you ask them to do a job, they would do that job to the utmost of their ability. How many have ever known somebody like that? And you said, man, there's something different about them. They don't cut corners. You know, they don't do anything to, um, to steal from the company. They don't steal time. They don't steal minutes. They show up when everybody else doesn't show up. John, you probably appreciate people like that, don't you? There was a time we have a shift that John and I work on. He's a store manager, and 50 people are supposed to be on that shift, and one night we had five people. (laughs) And there are some people that their work ethic is so strong that you can just count on them being there. In fact, you don't even have to ask. They'll be there. They'll do it right. They take it a little more serious than everybody else. And a lot of that is rooted in our Christian work ethic. And so that's what Paul is addressing here, that if you're a Christian, that we actually work a certain way. And this is all wrapped up in what we call a Christian worldview, 
meaning that uh, it touches every area of life. It just doesn't touch Sunday morning. And so I'm going to get into that part of the message. And uh, before I get into it, um, there was a time in Christian history, it's called the Protestant Reformation. And many people know that during the Protestant Reformation, one of the really big things that they were upset about was that the uh, doctrine of salvation had became a salvation of works, which means if you do certain sacramental things, certain things that had to do with penance, that you could actually earn your salvation. And so one of the things they were passionate about that caused so many to lose their life was the fact that um, they believed that salvation was by grace alone through faith alone. How many of you know that that was a very important thing that they were trying to restore back to the church? But there was another thing, the second thing that they really were passionate about was a thing that was called the priesthood of all believers, which means that every believer, when they come to Christ, they have a ministry. And so a lot of people come to Christ and they're like, well, man, what do I do? I want a job. I want to do something. I want to, you know, I want to do something for God. And you have this energy inside of you to say, man, I want to be used of God. I want to reach people. And so the thing that, in fact, they may have been as passionate about this issue as they were even about the other one. And what they felt like had happened was there became a special class called clergy. Okay, and clergy is your pastor's. And in their day, it was more nuns, monks, monasteries, priests. And they were a special class. There was the clergy, there was the laity. Laity meant the normal people, the regular people, the, the other people that were not the clergy. Okay? And what really made them upset and made them passionate was they were considered to be a higher order. If you were a monk, you were in a higher order. You were doing more important things. If you were a priest, you were doing God's business. If you were a pastor or if you were... And and how many know those, if they're done biblically in the way God wants it to be done, uh, God has leaders in the church. But what made them so passionate about it was that the normal people were considered to be a lower order. We're considered less to be doing the will of God, and that just infuriated them. They felt like that a mother that was doing dishes was doing dishes to the glory of God. They believed that a farmer that was farming a piece of land was farming to the glory of God. They believed that a person that went and did a blue-collar job was doing that blue-collar job to the glory of God, And so they were passionate about that. They were trying to make people understand that we're all priests unto God. That we're all called to a ministry that is the highest level, not a secondary level. And somewhere along the way, we lost that. Somewhere along the way, we lost that work ethic that says, Man, the way I mow my grass brings glory to God. The way I work on my job brings glory to God. The way I interact with my coworkers brings glory to God. All these things. Uh, and it is how many realize that that is your ministry? Wherever God has called you, that is your ministry to God that brings glory to Him. And that's what they were passionate about. So Paul is just 
beginning to break down this point, and so before I get to the work part of it, let's look at the verses that lead up to that. Verses 1 and 2. He says, Finally, brethren, introducing the last segment of this chapter, and it says, Pray for us that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. So let the word of the Lord run fast and let it bring glory to God. Just as it is with you that it may be delivered may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men because not all people have faith. That was an understatement. <laughs> Paul's saying that I need your prayers. And you say, well, of course he does. This is a powerhouse church in Thessalonica. And we've been studying this for nine weeks now. This wasn't a powerhouse church. This wasn't the biggest church in town with the biggest building in town and the biggest payroll in town. This was a bunch of people that had been Christians for maybe a year. And most of them came from Gentile backgrounds and most of them were new Christians and they were young in the Lord. They were being persecuted heavily. And Paul says, I need you. How many times in the Bible does Paul stress prayer and his need for their prayers? In fact, in Romans 15, he says, Now I beg you, brethren. What image do you get when he says beg? It's like, I'm begging, please help me. I beg you, brethren, through the Lord Jesus Christ, through the love of the Spirit, that you strive together with me in prayers to God for me. (laughs) Do you hear that? Paul is fighting and striving in prayer, and he's saying, Please fight with me. You know what it's like to fight alone? And it's not just the minister. How many of you have fought alone and nobody stood by your side and you're trying to fight through and do what's right and Paul is just begging them. Literally, I'm not even making that word up. He's begging them, please strive with me to pray with me to God for me. Ephesians, he says, in fact, in Romans, or 2 Corinthians 1.11, he says, You also, this to the Corinthian church, helping together in prayer for us, that thanks may be given by many persons on our behalf for the gift that God has granted to us through many. So how did they get the gifts to Paul? God granted it through their prayers to him. Ephesians 6.18, Praying always with prayer and supplication in the Spirit, being watchful to this end with all perseverance and supplication for all the saints, and Paul throws this in, and for me, that utterance may be given to me that I may open my mouth boldly to make known the mystery of the gospel. Paul is in debt. I mean, he needs prayers or he cannot have success in his ministry. This is not an understatement. This is not a, oh, we better cover the prayer verse too. This is Paul begging and pleading, please pray for me. He always, in fact, he doesn't say pray for yourselves because I'm the Apostle Paul. I mean, no, Apostle Paul is a pretty high-ranking person here. (laughs) He's saying I have to have the prayers from these saints that are just new in the Lord. Ephesians, when he's writing to that church, he says, Ephesians 6.18, he says, Pray always with all prayer and supplication in the Spirit. Actually, that's one I just read. Philippians 1.19, For I know this will turn out for my deliverance through your prayers and the supply of the Spirit of Jesus Christ. So how is he going to be delivered? Through their prayers. 
Colossians 4.3, Meanwhile, praying also for us, God would open to us a door for the word to speak the mystery of Christ, for which also I am in chains. Paul is in chains and he says, it's your prayers that's opening a door so I can preach the gospel here. Please help me. So we can't skip over those verses and say, let's get to the meat of it, this work thing. Because Paul is begging them to pray for him and pray for all the saints. Hallelujah. Amen. He says that the word of the Lord may run swiftly and be glorified. The Bible says that the word will go forth and it will not come back void, but will accomplish what God wants it to accomplish. How many know that in order for God to do what God's called them to do, Paul's saying that the word may run swiftly. That's my prayer request. Don't just pray for me. My prayer request is that the word of God can go forth. How many want the word of God to go forth in this city? Um, we see so many people turning away from Christ, turning away from life, turning away from salvation. And we need it to run swiftly. And guess how it's going to happen? Because I've got a strong will. Because I'm going to try harder. Because I'm going to be better. Because I'm smart. Because I'm wise. Because I'm good. Because I'm the best. No. Prayer. Prayer for one another, and you say, well, man, I can't pray for that person. Then it's not going to run swiftly. It's not going to move forward. We're going to constantly, in fact, Paul, what was he running into? Pray that it will run swiftly and and be glorified just as it was with you, that we may be delivered from unreasonable and wicked men. What did Paul run into? unreasonable people and wicked men. We know what wicked men are, but what are unreasonable people? Well, maybe they're not the wicked people. Maybe they're just people that are unreasonable. But he mentions both of them. He said, for not all have faith. So Paul is not only telling you pray for him, but here's the thing I want you to pray specifically. Pray that the word of God will run swiftly Pray that um, we will be delivered from people that are being hindrances to what we're trying to do. Amen. That's very important. I can't skip over that. Amen. <clears throat> then Paul says, But the Lord is faithful, who will establish you and guard you from the evil one. We have confidence in the Lord concerning you. Whew. Man. I'm so happy that God is just going to do all that. And he does. How many know that God keeps you in his hand? God keeps you safe. God establishes you. We can have confidence that God will do it. And I'm so thankful that God does do it. But then look at the next verse. That you do and will do the things we command you. That you do and will do the things that we have commanded you. Notice it didn't say there that God will overpower you and force you to do the things that he's commanding you. Some people teach that. The Holy Spirit will overpower you. And man, you have no choice. You'll just be doing everything that God said. And how many know 
God gives you the power to do everything he's commanded you to do, but he expects us to get up every day and say, man, I'm going to do it. You say, what if I fail? Then you failed. My salvation was never dependent on me being perfect. My salvation was... My salvation was in Jesus Christ and his sacrifice. And I serve him because I love him. He died for me. He saved me. I'm an imperfect sinner. But I'm going to get up every day and I'm going to try to do his will in my life. I'm going to try to be obedient. Amen. Amen. So it's us getting up every day. And he said, very important that we see that, that you do and will do the things that we command you. That's your responsibility. What's his responsibility? Responsibility is to be faithful to you, to establish you, to guard you from the evil one, and you can have confidence that he will do that exact thing. And then we will do and will do the things that we have been commanded to do. It's very important that we study these things. Man, I've loved expositional preaching because I have to study every detail of the things that Paul said is our responsibility as Christians to do. And so that's what I like about it, because it challenges me, and I think, man, God, I didn't know I was going to be preaching on work ethic, Christian work ethic. How many have ever heard sermons on Christian work ethic? Anybody ever heard one? You've heard one? Anybody else? Just on, Josiah's combing his hair, I think. Did you hear one? Okay, I'm sorry. <laughs> I'll pay for that later. <clears throat> And then he finishes this section and he says, Now may the Lord direct your hearts. <clears throat> now may the Lord direct your hearts into the love of God and to the patience of Christ. May the Lord direct your hearts, this is his prayer, into the love of God and into the patience of Christ. How many know those are gifts of the Spirit? Very important that the, we are directed by the Lord into the love of Christ and then the patience, or that word is also endurance, um, through the things that they're going to have to go through. Now I want to get into the meat of this sermon, this message from Paul. And I want to read this from a different, this is more of a transliteration, which is not a word for word. It makes it more in common English. I want you to hear how direct Paul is here. Starting in verse 6, it says, Our friends, in fact, you're not going to want to follow along because it's not a, Word-for-word translation, it's to make it easier reading, okay? It's the good news translation. It says, our friends, we command you in the name of the Lord Christ, Lord Jesus Christ, to keep away from all believers who are living a lazy life, who do not follow the instructions that we gave them. So what did Paul previously give them instructions about? See, the version there says disorderly. But then when you begin to read the context in the Greek, you begin to understand they're just being lazy. And Paul says this isn't how Christians live. And you say, man, I've never heard a sermon about this. You mean we can't be, <laughs> we're not supposed to be lazy as Christians? How many know that this isn't being preached much and we're noticing our society is getting less and less good in the work ethic department? And so it's an important message. It says... Uh, They do not follow the instructions that we gave them. This is the third time in Thessalonica that Paul has mentioned this to them. He said in 1 Thessalonians that I mentioned it to you to work hard and mind your own business. Remember when he said that in the last chapter? And said, I'd already told you that before. And now he's telling them again. And he says, "Um, you yourselves know very well that you should do just what we did. We were not lazy when we were with you. 
We did not accept anyone's support without paying for it. Instead, we worked and we toiled. We kept working day and night so as not to be an expense to you. We did this not because we do not have the right to demand support. We did it to be an example for you to follow. While we were in need, or while we were with you, we used to tell you, whoever refuses to work is not allowed to eat. We say this because we hear that there are some among you uh, who live lazy lives and do nothing except meddle in other people's business. In the name of the Lord Jesus Christ, we command these people and warn them to lead orderly lives, work to earn their own living, but you, friends, must not become tired of doing good. It, w- it may be that some there will not obey the message we send you in this letter. If so, take note of them and have nothing to do with them, so they will be ashamed. But do not treat them as enemies. Instead, warn them as believers. And so very clearly what is happening here is we have a church that's under a lot of pressure. They're being um, persecuted. They've got a lot of new believers. And Paul has already complimented them. They didn't have a lot of money because he mentions in another place that these believers were in poverty. But they gave so much to help people that they were overflowing, he said. In fact, Paul would say, don't give, and they would continue to give. They were just loving, and they were giving people. And here's the problem. There were those who were taking advantage of that. And so Paul makes it very clear, and I want to make it very clear here. He says, don't be weary in doing well. And a lot of times we use that scripture for a lot of things, but what he's saying is, you're helping people that are in need. Now, how many know when you're helping people in need, there's always going to be those people who can work, but they're taking advantage of the kindness. And so Paul is addressing this, and as a church, you may not know this, my board knows this, but we have to address it very regularly. How many know that's probably true? And so we've got to be very careful because there are those who are in need And we try to help when people are in need, and we've helped so many that are in need. But Paul is saying very clearly, don't, when he says don't associate with them, what he's saying is don't keep providing for people that refuse to work. He's saying they're still brothers, love them as brothers, they're not your enemy, they're still part of your association. He just says don't have any, he says come away from them, which means don't continue giving them money when they're just freeloading off of you. And so Paul is very careful to talk about that. They're being lazy. In fact, a lot of commentators believe because the message was that the day of the Lord is going to come, that they were actually in some type of prophetic ministry and was trying to win the lost and they were just not working. And uh, we see a lot of that today too. And uh, we've had several times, in fact, you'll see sometimes in our body we have to take a stand on that. If somebody refuses to work and they're kind of freeloading off people, we've got to say, hey, you know, you need to get a job. You know, you need to get out there and work because Paul tells me to do that. If somebody's in need, we have to evaluate is that because there's so many that are in need. That's why Paul said, don't be weary in doing well. Like continue helping because sometimes you can get weary and say, man, I don't want to help anybody because of the way that, you know, people take advantage of it. But that's not the right attitude to have. The attitude is we help everybody in need, but we've got to be careful for those that are just uh, trying to take advantage of people's kindness. Amen? Isn't this tough material? 
Aren't you glad you don't have to preach this? <laughs> so anyway, I started uh, looking back at some of the uh, scriptures. <clears throat> and I'm going to really um, stress the positive here, which is not so much dwelling on the persons that take advantage, but what is the Christian work ethic? Here is Colossians 3.23. It says, whatever you do, work at it with all of your heart, as working for the Lord, not for men. Since you know that you will receive an inheritance from the Lord as a reward, it is the Lord Jesus that you are serving. Wow. Did you catch that? That by me doing my work as if it's under the Lord, that I'm going to get an inheritance for that? You say, well, man, I already got a 401k. Do I really want anything else? I mean, come on. That's what I'm working for. But you receive an inheritance. And you know, when you go to work, in fact, um, just because this blessed me so much, I'm going to say this, but we have a guy at work, just the sweetest personality, spirit about him. He came from, I think, Central Africa. He's been here for three years. And John immediately noticed him, and I did too. He just had an attitude about him that works hard, has a good spirit about him. And and just, I noticed him on day one. John John noticed him on day one, and we both taken all kinds of time to make sure he, you know, gets acclimated to his job well. And and he stopped me the other day, and he said, "Uh, you are a man of God. I know you are a man of God. And and we started talking. And uh, he recognized by the work ethic that I was a Christian. And how many know that is going to happen everywhere you work? In fact, I've been to places where it didn't take very long, and you say, how did in the world they even know I was a Christian? You know, and when you go to work and you say to yourself, I want to do every single job as if it's unto the Lord. Like, I don't care who's watching. I don't care who gets the credit. I don't care, you know, what they say. Whatever job I'm doing... I'm doing it as if I'm doing it to the Lord. And when you do that, guess what people begin to notice about you? That's a Christian. I know that's a Christian. In fact, the alternative is true. When you go to a job and you halfway do things and you don't care the way you do it, they're going to be surprised you're a Christian. And so this is our ministry. You say, well, man, I don't have a ministry. God's not showing my ministry yet. Go to work and treat people as if you're a Christian. Go, Go to work and... And, and ask people questions, go to work and, and talk to people and go to work and do your job harder than everybody else does it for the glory of God and that will be your ministry. And God will expand from that ministry to many other things in your life. You'll be able to minister to lots of people. People will ask you about your walk in the Lord. Some people will be those unreasonable people Paul was talking about earlier. Right? How many have been to work and noticed those unreasonable people? But other people will recognize that you're a Christian if you live by this Christian work ethic. And everything you do, it's not just work, it's how you do things at home. Um, let me give you another one, Ephesians 6, 7, and 8. It says, serve wholeheartedly as if you were serving the Lord and not men, because you know that the Lord will reward everyone for whatever good he does, whether he is a servant or a free person. You say, well, how would we apply that today? It's whether you own your business or you're an employee, the lowest employee. 
Do it as if you're doing it unto the Lord. In fact, uh, some of those other versions say work where it says wholeheartedly or it says work with all your heart. Other versions say work heartily, work willingly, work with all of your soul. How many have ever went to work and worked with all of your soul? You say, no, I'm just mailing it in. You know, I'm just like, I complain all morning. I'm never happy to be there. I just, uh, there's nothing is going right almost all day long. Um, how many know the Bible also, and I'm not going into the negative this morning, but the Bible has a lot of scriptures on complainers and murmurers. People that are constantly complaining. And um, if we're doing that, we're not living out our ministry. We're not living out our ministry. We've got to go to work and we've got to say to ourselves, man, I am so happy to be here and working for the Lord. Work is a good thing. And you say, man, it's a curse. And some people believe it's a curse. And the reason I say that is because the Greek culture believed it to be a curse. They believed that the gods hated them so much that they cursed them with work. And they had a thing that was called Hellenistic Gnosticism. And Hellenistic Gnosticism taught that things that were intellectual were the higher call. And things that were labor and with the body were considered less and lower. And so the lower people did the blue collar stuff. The higher level people did the intellectual stuff. How many know that's a lot like our clergy laity? The person who is the minister is doing the Lord's work and we just go to work every day. And neither one of those are right. In fact, what is right is we do everything for the glory of God. And uh, we also, our negative actions are to the dishonor of God. And uh, so both are true. And uh, so as you look back at work, where did work start? And some of you would say, well, see, we got you now. Because man sinned. God cursed him, and it is a curse. Case closed. You better read earlier. Because before they ever fell, in Genesis 2.15, the Lord took man, put him in the garden to work it and take care of it. And he said everything was good. In fact, I think it was really good. I'm so excited to be with the Lord. How many would like to plant, how many have ever planted a tomato plant? And it was all perfectly clear around it. That whole garden is perfect. I mean, beautiful tilled soil. You got the tomato plant. You got a beautiful cage. Next one, beautiful cage, no weeds, perfectly tilled. And you walk away and you say, that's what a garden looks like. Then what happens? (laughs) The chaos ensues. Next thing you know, you got weeds. If you wait long enough, you got thorns, you got thistles. In fact, did you know we're always battling um, the curse now? In fact, if you leave your house, women, for a month without doing any cleaning, what happens? If you leave your lawn for a month in the summer, what happens? And so we're constantly trying to fight the effects of the curse. But when they were originally in the garden, how many of you know there wasn't a weed? There wasn't a thorn. There wasn't a thistle. They just watched that beautiful plant in that beautiful cage, let it grow, bear the fruits. But how many know they were working? They were working. They were spending 
the day with God and work is a beautiful thing and now it's a necessary thing. And so I think in eternity we're just going to enjoy the work without having all the negative. We're going to have that plant grow and I'm going to say, man, not a weed in the garden again today. You know, I'm just waiting for it to grow, you know. And, um, but right now we're working and if we look at it as a curse, then it's very difficult to see the blessing in it. And it's very difficult to get a blessing out of it. And I always get, I get a little frustrated when I'm at work and I'm always happy at work. You know, I'm always happy to be there, happy to have a good job, happy to see everybody. And you say, man, how's it going? In fact, I'm one of those uh, annoying people that everybody walks by and say, how are you doing? How's it going? How's, how are you doing? And more times than not, I get the, uh, it's going. And I always think to myself, that is not an answer. I realize it's going, but I didn't ask if it was going because it's going, I know. I'm, I'm trying to say, how's your day going? You know, and I know some people, they've never had a good day. There's never a attitude of, this is a good day, I'm happy that I can walk, I'm happy that I can have a job, I'm happy that, you know, that I can do this. And, and can I tell you something as Christian? And I'm not being mean, I'm just saying, let's understand that God has called us to this ministry. And... Um, joyfully working as if we're unto the Lord. I mean, if the Lord were your boss, would you act that way? (laughs) He's saying, do it as if I'm your boss. Do it as if I'm the one asking you to do the work. You know, do it like you're happy that God's blessed you with a job. You know, and so God's calling us to have a Christian work ethic and um, very, very important. How many appreciate messages like this? (laughs) I hope so. (laughs) I was thinking to myself, can I skip that chapter? But I can't. Then he goes on. And he says um, in Leviticus, really interesting here, uh, something we don't often realize. um, God began to um, give instructions in the law on how to work. And something we we often overlook is um, God actually said when you work, he wants you to be such a good worker that you can give to the poor. He wants us to be charitable. He wants us to have an overflow. He wants us to be able to give to other people. He wants us to be charitable. Uh, in fact, he told him in the very beginning, he said, when you plant your crops, plant more than you need and leave the corners for the poor. And so how many know we see Ruth actually surviving because that was their welfare program. Any poor person can go to the outsides of their fields because God instructed them to plant more than they actually needed, to work a little harder so other people can be helped that are in need. And uh, so the Bible is definitely not saying don't help people in need. It's just saying if you can work and you're taking advantage of that, you're actually taking food out of people's bellies that need help, you know, that aren't able to work and aren't able to, you know, go out and do the things that you're able to do. Amen? Then he goes... um, And Proverbs is just full of it. In fact, there's one place in Proverbs, he goes, hey, let's go look at the field of the sluggard. (laughs) And he says, uh, he goes and looks at the field and everything's overgrown. And he's like, yeah, this is what happens. A little sleep, a little slumber, a little folding of the hands. And it looks like this. And and I bet that sluggard's field was only sitting for a few weeks, right? And it was all grown up and all out of whack. And so why would God put that in the Bible? Because God wants us to have a good work ethic. Proverbs 14, 43. 
says, 14.23 says, All hard work brings a profit, but mere talk will lead you to poverty. Exodus 9.10, Whatever your hand finds to do, do it with all of your might. That's a good one. That means that uh, when you go to work, halfway do it. <laughs> right? It means when we go to work, let's give it everything we have. Let's work hard, go home, know we did a good day's work. Um, I know these sound like simple things, but um, how many know we're losing this in our culture a little bit? And uh, we need to preach it and we need to believe it. We need to demonstrate it like Paul did. Paul had other scriptures where he received support when he needed it. But he was specific in some of these communities to say, I could actually receive support, but I'm trying to show you an example. I'm trying to show you. In fact, he worked day and night in his shop uh, making these leather tents which is very hard work. I mean, you can imagine sewing something leather and trying to, you know, put all that stuff together. And so he worked day and night, and that's probably why Paul needed a lot of prayers because he was probably really tired when he was teaching and trying to minister to them. He was teaching them day and night, and he was working day and night. In fact, a lot of people don't realize this until you really study the text, but when Paul gave the handkerchief to go heal people, uh, he was actually... Most of them believed that he was in his shop working, could not pull himself away from the work, so he would take his cloth that he was sweating on, and he'd say, hey, go take this and give it to... And they actually think it was his handkerchief from working that he was given to people uh, to go pray for other people because he was busy at his shop. Interesting stuff. Then he goes on. <clears throat> in fact, I'm not going to... Actually, I'm going to close here. If you'd stand to your feet. Hallelujah. Paul would not be happy if I missed his ending parts of that, but I'm going to do it today. We've got a baptism service. Hallelujah. Worship team, if you could uh, come up. And uh, those who are being baptized, if you want to go get ready. And uh, Eddie, can you uh, make sure they all have a place to change? I know one can be in the family bathroom. One could probably be in my office if they wanted to use that. All right, praise the Lord. Let's pray. Heavenly Father, we love you. And Lord, um, we know that it's you, Lord, that accomplishes this in us. You're just looking for us to be willing vessels, Lord. People that are willing to be taught. And uh, Lord, you, if we're willing, Lord, you'll make us stand out in this world as uh, faithful people who love the Lord and have good work ethic and are trusted. Trustworthy, Lord. And uh, you'll bless us through that, Lord, through our hard work. And, uh, Lord, I just pray that you would uh, do that work in each one of us. And uh, help us examine our hearts this morning, Lord. In your name we pray. Amen. Church, as we worship, we're getting ready for water baptism. I just want you to examine. Don't just listen to the messages and say, man, you know, not for me. We can all work harder, okay? We can all. You might be the ultimate worker right now, but let's all pray and say, Lord, help me with my attitudes. And uh, Because I know uh, we're not all perfect. We all got lots of failures. And, and uh, we always want to submit ourselves to the Lord and say, Holy Spirit, how can you make me better? There's nothing wrong with that. That's what we want to do. Hallelujah. So examine yourself this morning.
All right, I'm going to close in a word of prayer. Hallelujah. Heavenly Father, we're so thankful, Lord. We bless your name, Lord God. We celebrate, Lord, the biggest decision any of us will ever make in our life, Lord God, to know that we're secure in you and we're loved by you and we'll live forever with you, Lord. We thank you, Lord, for your gift of salvation, Lord. Hallelujah. And we bless you, Lord. In your name we pray, Lord. Bless them as they go. Lord, let them live out their ministry everywhere they go, Lord God, today and every day, Lord. In your name we pray. And everybody said, Amen. Amen.